Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the episode 29 of the T-Drop the Film Buff podcast. A lot of big news this week, so it's going to be, uh, you know, back to the usual. Let's break down the news, maybe even review a movie or two. Um, as compared to last week when it was basically strictly a, you know, a trailer breakdown review of The Rise of Skywalker that, man, now we're only about six weeks away from? Can you believe that? I mean... Man, that's that's freaking crazy. It's like six weeks from this Thursday, I believe. Um, wow, uh, it's almost almost at the end of the year. We're what seven weeks from Christmas now. Anyway, a lot of big news to get to this week. Um, let's start with probably the most talked about piece of news this week, which dropped on a Monday night at 9 p.m., which should probably raise a red flag a little bit, just, um, you know, in general. Um, but this news was that David Benioff and D.B. Weiss have officially left, I guess, or removed, or exited, however you want to phrase it, from the series of Star Wars films that they were going to produce in the coming years. Uh, from my understanding, it was going to be a 2022, 2024, 2026 uh, kind of offsetting the Avatar 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027 for those sequels. So they were going to, not that Disney doesn't already own the box office anyway, but it was going to be every other year uh, Star Wars to Avatar film. Uh, so anyway, official news, Benioff and Weiss have left. So a lot of a lot of different angles you could take this uh, story. First off, let's just address the fact that you know there are a lot of people that are happy, uh, you know, that they are gone uh, from the series and that they didn't want you know David and Dan to have anything to do with another big fandom, especially something that's not particularly based on any specific text or novel or comic book. Uh, because a lot of people have problems with the fact that uh, you know David and Dan, once they kind of went off script, once the they went away from what the books had, that they struggled with Game of Thrones. I tend to disagree. Certainly, there are better parts to seasons one through five, um, and even better stuff in seasons six through eight uh, that are even taken or. I don't know if you could say taken from the books because they're definitely past the books at that point, but some of the stuff with Jamie and Riverlands, uh, that's taken from book five, I believe. But at any rate, uh, a lot of people are, are actually happy that they're gone. I am really bummed about this news. I mean, I'm really disappointed that they couldn't come to some sort of agreement. Uh, of course, they ended up taking the big Netflix deal. I believe it was $250 million, uh, for David and Dan. Uh, for Netflix to kind of develop a series of films, TV series, and all that stuff. I'm just so bummed. You know, I I just think in general, whether you're basing something off a book or a comic book, novel, um, a short story, whatever it is, you still have to adapt that to the screen. I can tell you that there are countless, I, more than dozens, hundreds of different properties that when adapted, they don't translate, right? Um, you still, even if you have the story, you still have to adapt the dialogue, the language, the tone, 
the aesthetic of the show. Um, and I think that D and D did that fantastically through seasons one through eight. Of course, there were some moments in season eight, maybe even season seven that felt a little bit rushed. I get it. I, that's a complaint that if you felt that way, I, I'm totally not going to, I'm not going to disagree with you. Um, I didn't necessarily feel that way, but I can't say that you're wrong. Um, but I think that there was something to be said about like David and Dan going back to the origins of the Jedi, maybe the old Republic, and creating a series of films. Like just that time period in Star Wars history has always been fascinating. Not that I've ever played the Knights of the Old Republic video game or read any of the old books um, that any of these you know were inspired by or based on, whatever the case may be. But I think that it could have been really cool. Now, I guess the uh, one remaining question would be, you know, do they, uh, you know, does Lucasfilm completely scrap their plans? Do they just bring on a different filmmaker to kind of go through with what David and Dan pitched them uh, back in 2017? I believe it was September of 2017. It was like a month after Game of Thrones season seven had finished. Uh, and, you know, there was the report that they had officially signed on to produce a series of films for Lucasfilm, uh, but they would not do so until after they had finished on season eight. So a lot of stuff has happened. I know they gave the interview over the weekend. Um, you know, I don't remember where it was from. Some, some sort of, it wasn't a convention. It was like some sort of brunch event I don't even know but they were very candid actually about you know their experience particularly on the first season of Game of Thrones how they didn't really have much experience at all um, and people were just of course taking their words and just attributing it to everything from season one through season eight it's just it's ridiculous like all right DB Weiss no he didn't have a lot of experience in Hollywood but I'll tell you that David Benioff I mean I'm just gonna pull up his IMDB now the guy's written like four or five films, I believe, uh, and most of them were at least you know critically well received, uh, well received from the fans as well. Um, like I mean, we're just starting back in two thousand two. This is seventeen years ago. He wrote the novel and he adapted the screenplay from his own novel for Twenty Fifth Hour, which I have not seen yet, uh, directed by Spike Lee. But I know that people really like that movie, um, so I'm certainly gonna have to check it out at some point. But people love that movie and that's that's him you know he 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 wrote that he wrote the novel and he adapted his own novel uh he adapted you know i guess you could say from you know real life uh, experiences for troy he he i guess i mean it's based off of the homer poem but uh he adapted the screenplay for the brad pitt led troy which i think in terms of how it's received, it's kind of split. I still have not seen that movie either. So as many movies as I've seen, have not seen actually almost any of the stuff he's written. Uh, Stay, which is a 2005 film, uh, I believe it's starring uh, Ryan Gosling. Yep, yep, Ryan Gosling, Naomi Watts, and Ewan McGregor. Uh, I think that that movie's somewhat, well, it's a, you know, it's another mixed, but there's a lot of positive. Some negative, but there's a lot of positive. Uh, and then he wrote the screenplay for the film The Kite Runner, which is a very well-received um, film back in 2007. 
was that nominated for anything? I think it was. Let's see. Nominated for an Oscar. Yep. For Okay, so for original score, but it was nominated for plenty of other awards as well. Uh, Benioff was nominated for Best Screenplay for BAFTA. Um, of course, he did write the screenplay for X-Men Origins Wolverine. Let's, let's completely acknowledge that, that that screenplay and that movie in general is terrible. Um, a lot of studio interference on that movie, though, so I don't know how much you can attribute to Benioff or Gavin Hood. Uh, he wrote the screenplay for the 2009 film Brothers, which I love that movie. I think that movie is really well done uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal and Natalie Portman and Tobey Maguire. Uh, he wrote an episode of It's, a, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I don't think you can really give, attribute that to him, though. Because um, it's a TV series, unless you're writing for more than like a couple of episodes, you're you're under an umbrella of people. So... Um, he wrote Gemini Man this year, so I'm not going to give him credit for that because that story is not good. Um, so, again, there are certainly some some missteps here. Uh, but the guy, I mean, he, how many, I don't remember how many episodes of Game of Thrones he, he wrote, but a good chunk, probably 80% of them, him and D.B. Weiss wrote together. And there's four or five films that are pretty well received here on his on his uh, IMDb. So it's not like the guy's got no experience. I, I'm tired of that argument. Uh, and I, I hate the fact that people blew all those you know, quotes out of proportion. Um, yeah, th- there's this whole thing, though. I mean, there's a couple articles about how Disney was not happy with uh, the fact that they signed that Netflix deal for $250 million when they were, are, they were already kind of under the Lucasfilm umbrella. They kind of thought that maybe they had locked them down. But, you know, when you have $250 million at your doorstep, do you turn that down? I don't think you do. Um, let's see here. Well, I guess that this kind of brings me to the the second part of the Lucasfilm issue here. And it's that, you know, how many times has Disney now had feuds or they had to remove a director or producer from one of their films? I mean, so you have David and Dan. So they were going to, they were going to head produce it, probably write the, the script for those movies. Um, you have Josh Trank with Boba Fett, Phil Lord and Chris Miller with Solo, Ryan Johnson and Colin Trevorrow were both attached to episode nine. They were either removed or stepped away. And Gareth Edwards reportedly had many problems on Rogue One because they had reshot most of the ending. They had, um, reportedly made it lighter. I guess the original cut was too dark. Um, I would have loved to have seen that original cut of the film, by the way, because I'm not a huge fan of Rogue One at all. Uh, but I mean, like, it, what what does this show you, though? Like, if you have this many people leaving, I mean, what does that say about your lead producer, Kathleen Kennedy, or really anybody else, you know, there at Lucasfilm? Like, I mean, are they not, are they giving them too much creativity? And then when they come, you know, to look at what they're doing, like Phil Lord and Chris Miller, they're like, uh, this is not the solo film we wanted. Let's bring on Ryan Howard and make the most generic action space adventure possible. Because uh, that's certainly what happened. So, uh, is it time for Kathleen Kennedy to step away? She's essentially the one common denominator in all these, you know, different uh, removals and, and feuds with directors. So, I I don't know what the answer is. Um, but after Rise of Skywalker, I think we're going to be waiting quite a few years for the next Star Wars film, which I guess is fine. You know. Um, 
I don't necessarily need one Star Wars film a year like Bob Iger originally thought they were going to do. Uh, but I love that he he kind of looked at what they they had and he's like, you know what? This is not. We probably shouldn't do this. Solo failed. Last Jedi split the fan base. So let's take a step back. Let's realize what we did wrong, um, and let's go through through a different way, like what they're doing with the Mandalorian on Disney Plus, which is going to debut in what nine days? Uh, that's awesome. That is awesome. I cannot wait for that show really just hope it's good though like i had this fear in my mind that it actually eh, it might not be good might not be good you never know it looks great i remember seeing the stuff at the star wars celebration the uh the stuff that they showed to that big audience there at the, the theater fantastic i mean they showed a couple scenes as well as like an extended trailer loved it loved every second of it i just don't i don't know i just always worry i always worry the critics have not even seen it yet I'm assuming they're going to get some episodes this week. Maybe. Maybe. Um, moving on, but kind of staying in the world of Ice and Fire, we still have plenty more news to get to here. Another bummer. Uh, HBO has officially canned Blood Moon, a.k.a. The Long Night, which is the series they were developing, uh, headed up by Jane Goldman there and uh, S.J. Clarkson. You kind of had a feeling because there had not been pretty much any news on any Game of Thrones websites or any film television websites since they had filmed the pilot in June. And typically, like, okay, so Game of Thrones pilot. I'm assuming there's some visual effects for sure. Um, some stuff they're going to have to do in post. But that episode should probably be, be done in two months, right, after they film it. So let's say it's done in early September, finished with all the visual effects. We should have heard something by now. Like, it's been two months, over two months. I mean, really, since they filmed it, it's been five months, and we hadn't heard a thing. It was not looking good, but I was thinking in the back of my mind, I'm like, there's no way that they're not going to greenlight a Game of Thrones spinoff, right? I mean, they're going to, they're definitely going to take this on. But hey, I mean, to their credit, maybe it just wasn't good, and they're just like, we're not going to lead with this series, and basically ruin any chance we had of capitalizing on the massive Game of Thrones fan base by putting out a, a mediocre, maybe even bad show. Uh, so if it was not good, I'm happy that they didn't greenlight it. But I was, I'm was i just bummed because it's going to be a while before we see another Game of Thrones series. Of course, we're going to get to the news in a second. Um, but I mean, I really... I really thought there was a chance. I mean, we've got White Walkers in this show. The Starks, like the, the first men and the Starks were going to be in it. Possible origin of House Lannister. Um, great origin of that house in general. So I thought that we might see that on screen. I mean, this freaking starred Naomi Watts. And you didn't freaking pick this up? Like, how the fuck does that happen? You know? Like, how... how and written by Jane Goldman, too, who I believe, let's go ahead and look at it. I believe she had was the head writer on another show. What am I thinking of? Was it Jane Goldman? Okay, so she was the producer of Kick-Ass and Kingsman, but I thought she was like a head writer on another big show. Screenplay for Kingsman, screenplay for Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, screenplay for The Limehouse Gollum, which... Is a movie? Why do I not even know that movie? Uh, let's put that on the watch list. 
Um, yeah, she story by for X Men Days of Future Past, for Woman in Black, for First Class, for The Debt, which I really like, for Stardust, which is a great film. Like, this is a great writer here, and um, yeah, apparently it just didn't work out. So that's pretty disappointing. Um, but what did you do? Sometimes these things just don't work out. But on the bright side, HBO literally what three hours after this news tweeted out that they gave the official green light to house of the dragon which will be a series uh, co-created by george r r martin and ryan condal uh condal will be joined by miguel sapochnik as lead showrunners he is directing the pilot and probably future episodes so i guess condal um i have not seen the colony for fx um but apparently it was a pretty pretty well received series but he wrote the screenplay for hercules and rampage of course both those starring the rock he was the showrunner for colony um, which i have not seen see it's kind of interesting the way you look at this right so they chose dragons and the guy who wrote hercules and rampage over somebody who was the writer on days of future past the debt first class kingsman uh and they had white walkers and starring naomi watts like that to me that that shows that shows me that they just did not like the 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 pilot that they shot for blood moon like that there's no other way to, to basically like under like explain what happened here i mean house of the dragon will be based on fire and blood by george r, r. martin which is fantastic because uh, I cannot wait to read that book, or probably listen to the audiobook. Let's face the facts. Do I read? I don't read. Um, still got to start those books. Still got to start Game of Thrones, the, the actual, or Song of Ice and Fire. I have them in my room. I'm ready to read them. Just a matter of taking that first step. Um, but it's interesting why they chose it. Let's go ahead, and this is what I was actually going to do. I was going to pull up George R. R. Martin's blog post about this, because... Um, he had some good things to say. He had some interesting things to say uh, about not particularly like why they chose uh, what they chose, but um, but I got a post. He just put blog post today or yesterday about trick or treating. Interesting. I love reading George R. R. Martin's um, blogs. They're just interesting, and and he he just the way he writes is is captivating. Um, so basically, he's like. Um, you know, they greenlit the show, not just a pilot this time, he said. So he made that clear. Like, this is a full season order for 10 episodes. Um, so that's that's interesting. They have that much confidence in the, the show with the dragons. Um, of course, and based upon Archmaster's Galadine's imaginary history, Fire and Blood, because that's the history of House Targaryen. Um, okay, yes, 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 blah, blah, blah. Okay, Miguel Spachnik won an Emmy. Of course, we know that. Um, he talks about how he met Ryan Condal years ago, um, and, and he, when he was in New Mexico, um, he discovered the series just after Storm of Swords, blah, blah, blah. But yes, I mean, he does go on to say that, he, he, you know, the Blood Moon was uh, canned, uh, it's interesting, he also mentions that House of Dragon, it's been in development for several years. Uh, it was actually the first concept that he pitched to HBO 
when they started talking about successor shows back in 2016. So that's that's actually very interesting. This was the first one that he wanted to do. Um, so yes, uh, of course, then he's like, oh, go ahead and pick up my copy of Fire and Blood autographed, blah, blah, blah. And then the best part about this is He's like, oh, maybe I'll write a script, you know, for one of the episodes of House of the Dragon. And he said, but let me make this perfectly clear. I am not taking on any scripts until I've finished and delivered Winds of Winter. Winter is still coming, and Winds remains my priority as much as I'd love to write an episode of House. Uh, yes, and then he goes on to say about how they did not pick up The Long Night uh, and Blood Moon. <sighs> you know and then he, he he basically says it was not it was never an either or situation between these two shows television if television has room enough for multiple csis and chicago shows westeros and essos are a lot bigger with thousands of years of history and enough tales and legends and characters for a dozen shows it's heartbreaking as it is work on years for a pilot to put your blood sweat and tears into it and have to come to naught but it's not all uncommon. I've been there myself more than once. I know Jane and her team are feeling the disappointment just now, and they have all had my sympathy with my thanks for all their hard work and my good wishes for whatever they do next. Uh, so, yeah, disappointing but exciting for the, the Dragon Show, of course, just disappointing. Let's move on from Game of Thrones. That's 21 minutes of talking about a Song of Ice and Fire, which I can do for hours, but... It may get old for the one to two listeners that are out there. Blah, blah, blah. Peyton Reed will be returning for Ant-Man 3. Yeesh. I mean, if I've said it five times, I'll say it a million times. Peyton Reed and John Watts should not be directing the third films of their series. I firmly believe that they are the most bland trilogies of any of the characters out there i could not stand ant-man and the wasp i liked ant-man the first one i liked homecoming and i liked far from home but they're just like there's just nothing bold about them they don't take enough chances it feels very safe and at the same time they're not even using like the safe characters in it for spider-man's case and for ant-man's case the screenplay for ant-man the wasp was an absolute disaster the tone of that was a disaster i could not stand randall park's character i will never watch that movie again oh god um more ish news superman and lois are getting their own series for the cw yikes um i I will not be watching this after arrow airs its series finale which i will be doing a review for I will most likely never watch a CW show again, unless it's the yearly crossover. I may check into those, but I have absolutely no interest in uh, in taking on any of these new CW shows. I've spent years, hundreds and hundreds of episodes I've seen. It basically ends up being all the same in the end. So, I'll pass. And uh, I do not believe... Did anybody's really gonna watch like is anybody really gonna watch this show? Unless that they completely wow people with the Superman Lois dynamic in this crossover, because they haven't really thus far in Supergirl or the last year's crossover. Pass. 
In uh, cool news this week, though, Spider-Verse 2 will be in theaters April of 2022, which seems like a long time away. It's only two and a half years. It's only two and a half years. Um, it's right around the time Black Panther 2 is coming out. So if that's been a while for you, then, you know, it's going to be even longer for Spider-Verse 2. Uh, let's get, a, let's move on to, I'm going to do a little brief review of, uh, Terminator Dark Fate, because I did see that on opening night, Thursday night, and I gotta tell you, I liked it quite a bit, um, now, what I will say is that since Terminator 1 and Terminator 2, this series has basically chosen spectacle over story, um, and it's kind of similar here with Dark Fate, although I will say the story's better. It's better than Genesis, even though I, d I didn't mind Genesis. I really didn't. Um, I never saw Terminator Salvation. I liked Rise of the Machines, but I don't really remember the story at all from that movie. Um, but I certainly liked it. Uh, but the Terminator Dark Fate is certainly the best Terminator movie since T2, Judgment Day. I don't think you're ever going to get anything better than T2. I, I tweeted out that there's the ceiling to how good a Terminator film could be, and it's T2, and it basically would never be topped. It just won't be. Like, because it's... The story, it eventually just becomes the same thing over and over again. Um, but Dark Fate tries to do a couple of new things here and there. Uh, Arnold, of course, is back. Linda Hamilton is back. They're both great. They have great chemistry together. The opening scene in this movie, so this is full spoilers here, but the opening scene in this movie, when they use the de-aging technology um, and they show Linda Hamilton, 1998 Linda Hamilton, uh, trying to save John Connor from a T-800 that was, of course, sent back in time. Because back in, what was that, 1984, uh, when the original Terminator came out, they, were, they said in that movie, and in T2, I think they reinforced it, that there were several Terminators sent back in time uh, to different years in case the job wasn't successful in order to carry out the, John, the death of John Connor. Now, the unfortunate thing is, is that after T2, they changed the, the future and that Skynet future never existed anymore. But those Terminators that sent back in time were still going out and carrying out their mission. Uh, and of course, unfortunate for John Connor because he ended up having to bite it right in the opening scene. I loved that. I thought that that was such a cool way to open, different way to open, did not expect it. Uh, the de-aging technology was incredible. But I think once again, proving that de-aging technology works when there's not much movement happening, um, when people have to be moving constantly, running, you can't really do the de-aging technology. But if you're just standing there, if you're just kind of walking, it works really, really well. The MCU's proved that. Looks like the Irishman has proved that. And certainly Dark Fate did as well. I loved the three leading ladies, of course, Linda Hamilton, Mackenzie Davis. And let me not get her name wrong. Let's go ahead and pull... Uh, that up here. Um, of course, Arnold is great as well. Uh, great, some really, really funny lines that Arnold has. Um, let's see, what is her name? Is it Natalia Reyes? Is, am I thinking that right? It is Natalia Reyes. Okay, I'm glad I remember that. Um, or Ramos. Or no, no, that's her name in the movie. Danny Ramos is the name of the movie. Natalia Reyes is the name in real life. Um, I also loved the guy who played the Terminator. I thought he was really good. Why can't I not find his name? Is it Gabriel Luna? I think it was Gabriel Luna, wasn't it? Why 
Why is he not coming up here? There he is, Gabriel Luna. Yes, and Edward Furlong, of course, comes back for the, the reference that they had for John Connor. Uh, but the star of this movie is definitely Mackenzie Davis. And I think the action is really, really good. It's kind of like Mission Impossible Fallout, where like it's just an action scene after action scene after action scene. You know, like, is this going to get tiring? It kind of is, but I'm enjoying it at the same time. There's maybe a little bit too much CGI at, at times, noticeable CGI. A lot of times they get away with it, with cutting. Um, but it just becomes a little bit overpowering at times. But I can't deny, like, the action scenes are shot really well and choreographed really well, especially the last... 15 minutes or so, really, really well done, and I enjoyed the hell out of the movie. Um, but I can certainly see why people, you know, were a little bit bummed about the, you know, the movie, and, and certainly the box office has not proven that this could be a, a series that lives on. Perhaps International saves the film, saves the series. I'm kind of leaning towards this probably being the end. I'm thinking that this will be the end. But hey, I mean, if they ended it here, I think it's a great ending. If they don't, they come back. I'll be there. I'll be there. This movie proved it. Like, I'll be there in the theater seeing this one again. Uh, so anyway, that's Terminator Dark Fate. Brief review there. Uh, I mean, not in movie news at all, but Heim put out a new song this week. It's called Now I'm In It. Video directed by PTA, so I guess that could be kind of movie news for you. Uh, another great... Great music video, great song. It's very catchy. Uh, like I, I just, I, it's one of. The, it's not necessarily Summer Girl for me. Like Summer Girl in late uh, July when they released that, like that was the jam, and I almost wish they would have released that back in you know, June because it was just so freaking catchy. Uh, but just like, especially the beginning to now a minute. It's just so well done, and just so, it's it's such a perfect Heim song. That's why I see why they're like this is the most Heim song ever. Like, let's just take a look at the, listen to this beginning. Like, oh, just I mean, listen to that beat. Like that is just freaking fantastic. And it just God, it's just such a it's such a Heim music video too, where you have just very well lit, shot like a film. And, and just the beat keeps going, and of course they're walking in the, the music video too. Like, of course, when are they not walking in a music video, right? Boom. It's just such a great... I mean, you have Daniel Haim, of course, at the beginning. SD and Alana there eventually. Oh. I don't want to get some copyright here, but man, it's such a great song. Anyway, go listen to that song when you get a chance. Um, but uh, I found it. I was like, yeah, you might as well mention Heim putting out a new song. I don't typically mention music at all because I'm not really in the music game anymore. Um, but last but not least on this week, enough of the movie news, enough of the music, the TV news. I wanted to personally thank Christian Harloff for his run on Collider and AMC. Of course, this was his last week. His last day was Friday as he goes off and does his own thing on the SEN YouTube channel, Schmodown Entertainment Network. I mean, I gotta say, I mean, the original OG crew of Movie Talk that I started listening to back in 2013, I would say I could really credit them for enhancing my love for movies. Uh, and that was back in 2013, right when Ben Affleck was announced as Batman. And that fall, that Thursday night, I believe it was in August, 22nd, 23rd 
could be. Let's go ahead and look up that actual date. I'm actually curious. Like, was that when? So we got 2013, August. I think it was, I want to say it was 22nd. It was Thursday the 22nd. That is correct. When he was announced as Batman. I remember looking up YouTube videos, I found the Movie Talk crew, or I found the Schmoes crew, and of course, eventually, they kind of came together, but you had, uh, you know, Harloff, Mark Ellis, Amy Rose Eisenbach, John Campia, John Schnapp, Alicia Malone, Miri Jedekin, Dennis Sang, um, I mean, what a crew, Chris, uh, Lee Kennedy, uh, of course, Ashley Mova, I mean, Man, good times, right? I mean, it's been six and a half years I've been listening to these guys. Of course, it's not like he's leaving the, the YouTube space at all. Just going on over to a different channel, but it is the end of an era uh, with the AMC Collider time for Christian. And I think, I'm telling you, I'm going to spend months, I don't want to say a year, but maybe close to a year just listening, watching them on YouTube, podcasts, Really, really enhanced my love for film. Opened my eyes to films I'd never seen before. TV shows never thought I would check out. Uh, so I thought that that was something I needed to do. Give a personal thank uh, to Christian Harloff. And, I, you know, this will be the end of the episode here. And as Christian Harloff would say, and as he did sign off his last moment in Collider by saying, Peace out, mother Fs. <laughs>